Welcome to the Salem Fields Community Church Podcast of the Weekly Message. We hope that you find this podcast personally helpful, and we also encourage you to share the subscription link found at salemfields.com podcast with your friends that might be able to use some practical advice and encouragement. Well, we're starting uh, our talking about uh, Noah today, and boy, what a great uh, picture Jay's painting back there for us. The story of Noah, Noah is one of my earliest memories of the Bible. I can remember going to Sunday school and as a kid or vacation Bible school, and I can remember the little flannel, flannel graph. You remember those things? They set them up and they stick the boat to it and the animals and they stick the, you know, and I remember all that. And uh, it's one of the most popular of all the children's Bible stories. Even people who don't know the Bible and never come to church know about Noah. They know about his big boat. They know about all those animals coming in two by two and, and, uh, and most people know about the great flood and how the boat floated until the water receded. And then the animals departed two by two. And then finally the rainbow appeared and God gave a promise that he would never send a great flood uh, that would cover the entire earth. He'd never do that again. And then I remember this song that my grandchildren and daughter are going to sing for us as well. One of my favorite children's songs. And I want Phil to come up front. Uh, come right on up front, Phil and Gabe, right on up here. And you know what? You, y'all sang that, I think it's that Beatles song. Y'all sang along with that. Y'all know these words. CCR, okay, whatever. Y'all were too embarrassed, so we're going to sing this song the way children sing it and the way you sang it when you were in. So everybody stand up. Go ahead, Phil. Get them going, buddy. Two times. That's right. Everybody sing this. So. Rise and shine. Come on. Let's go. Rise 
says unless we become like little children some of y'all were too adult out there so let's go now we're going to rise and shine and give god the glory we're going to keep doing this until we get it okay Thank you, Phil. <laughs> All right, thank you. Now that's what, now we're going to heaven. <laughs> the Bible says we've got like little children. Okay, the story of Noah. That's a great story. I ran across this week uh, the little thing that said, all I need to know I learned from Noah's Ark. You know how that, all I need to know for life I learned uh, in uh, kindergarten. So I got uh, 10 things that uh, I learned from Noah's Ark. Number one, don't miss the boat. <laughs> Number two, Remember that we're all in the same boat. Uh, number three, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Number four, stay fit. When you're six year, 600 years old, God may ask you to do something really big. Number five, don't listen to the critics. Just get the job done. No, number, uh, what do I have here? <laughs> number six, thank you. Uh, build your future on high ground. Number seven, for safety's sakes, travel in pairs. Number eight, when you're stressed, float a while. Somebody told me this morning that when, you, uh, when you're not stressed, you lose weight. And I thought that's what was happening to me. I was, I'm so stressed out that I'm blowing up. So <laughs> I'm going to float a while. Number nine, remember the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by professionals. And number 10, no matter the storm, when you're with God, there's always a rainbow waiting. So today I want, to, I want us to look at the story of Noah and the ark. You know, it, it consists of Noah and his family, consists of an ark, and, and talk about a rainbow. Uh, and, and I want to talk about today about why God chose Noah uh, and also look at the significance of this story for our lives. In Genesis 6, it shows us why God used Noah and why uh, he and his entire family survived the flood while the rest of the human race perished. So I want to look at that real quickly about why did God use Noah. And maybe you could uh, kind of think about that in your life. If you want God to use you in a big way, maybe not when you're 600 years old, but you want God to use your life, then maybe we need to figure out how, why God used Mo uh, Moses. That's in your notes. You see your notes there that you have? It says Moses. I mean... This church, you know, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about Noah. It says Moses, and also it says saved in there. Moses, why God, <laughs> anyway, it's all wrong. <laughs> but it is Noah, okay? And uh, so we're going to talk about why God used Noah. First of all, he was a righteous man. The Bible says Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Now, this verse is the key to this great story. You see, Noah was a righteous man, which means that he loved God wholeheartedly. 
He loved God with his whole heart, and he obeyed God. He walked step by step in faith uh, uh, as a living example to his generation. He believed God, and he took God at his word. And, uh, and when God said it, you know, he, he did it. Uh, Noah believed God and his faith was counted as righteousness because he believed, because he believed God, his faith was counted as righteousness. His faith is what made him distinctly different from his generation. He, he was, here was a man who walked with God and he knew God intimately. This is an awesome honor since Noah and Enoch are the only two men in the Bible where the Bible says specifically that they walked with God. And so God used Noah because Noah was a righteous man. He used Noah because he was a family man. The Bible said Noah had three sons in Genesis 6.10. And we know that Noah was married and that he and his, that he, his, wife, and his wife had three sons and each son was also married. And so we know that, uh, that Noah was a family man. Noah was the head of his household and the spiritual leader to his wife and his sons and his daughter-in-law. And because of that, God saved his whole family. You know, the guys were at wildfire this weekend. If you were at wildfire, just kind of raise your hand and go crazy. Bobby. <laughs> okay, Oscar, a couple of them. We had 14 men at wildfire. They, they're scattered everywhere now. But, you know, the statistic that they heard yesterday was this. 17% of children will go to church if their mom goes regularly. 93% will go to church if the fathers go regularly. So you see how important it is, men, that we be the spiritual leaders of our family and the wife's not kicking us out of bed. We're kicking the wife out of bed and the children out of bed and we're saying we're going to go uh, to church. Noah was a family man. He was a spiritual leader of his home and God used Noah in a remarkable way because he was a family man. He was also a one-of-a-kind man. He was a one-of-a-kind man. The Bible says now the earth uh, was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Now this verse shows the difference between Noah and his generation. The word corrupt, now the word corrupt means rotten or utterly foul. In other words, it described a world that was in the last stages of moral decay. In other words, what that scripture is saying, the, the world was like if you'd stick your head in a garbage can filled with rotten food. That the world was utterly corrupt. It was utterly rotten. I mean, can you think about that? I mean, it was rotten. It was so rotten that the place stunk. Utterly foul. It, it describes the stage, of, the stage of moral decay. The people had rejected God. They lived a life of violence, hatred, abuse, murder, dishonesty, and every ugly expression of the wickedness of a human heart was lived out and played out in that day. In the day of Noah, before the flood, the people's evil thoughts became evil words that ultimately led to unspeakable acts of violence, brutality, lust, and perversion. The unthinkable became the thinkable. And finally, the unspeakable was done and praise was given to those who did it openly. I mean, in that day, if you were perverted, if you were filled with lust and brutality and violence, I mean, you were praised. 
Not because you were a, a godly man or a godly person, but you were praised because you were ungodly. That's the kind of world that Noah was in. And Noah was a bright and shining light in a dark world. The world was impure. Noah was pure. The, word, the world was unrighteous. And Noah was righteous. I mean, just think what God could do in our world today with just one righteous man that was willing to stand. Stand alone, like Daniel. You see, in a world that turned their back on God, Noah walked with God. And he was willing to stand alone. He was willing to believe God at his word. He built the ark and no doubt received a lot of ridicule because he was confident that God could be trusted and that the flood would someday come to the world. Even if his friends called him Crazy Noah. It didn't matter to Noah. So I was wondering about Noah, and I wonder if there was any YouTube videos from Noah. And so I did a little search on Google, and sure enough, I found, uh, it doesn't have a picture. They didn't have uh, cameras then, but they had audio, and so we're going to listen to it. Of course, Noah had, had a heck of a job, really. He, he had to go out and collect all of the animals in the world by twos, two mosquitoes, male or female. <laughs> and... Uh, he had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two, only two. So we find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else, and his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. So we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Because you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. <laughs> Come on, you know I don't work like that. I'm sick and tired of this. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working hard for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this. Noah? Yeah? How long can you tread water? <laughs> yeah, well, I got news for you. I'm sick and tired of this whole mess. If I've done, the whole neighborhood's out there laughing at me. They're all having a grand time. Hey, good old Noah there. I went out and got my best friend Larry. I said, Larry, listen, I've been talking with the Lord. Larry said, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah. Listen, Lord Larry, Larry Lord, you walked off there laughing. I hear him all up there laughing at me. You know I'm the only guy in this neighborhood with an ark? People around there laughing. Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew all the time everything was happening. I think you're talking about the way you're going, 
and God noticed. Fourth, Noah was an obedient man. The Bible says Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now this verse comes right after God gives him the detailed instructions on how to build the ark. And there are two things that stand out to me in this verse. The first one is Noah's obedience was complete. Noah did everything the Lord commanded. I mean, his obedience also, number two, was absolute. He did everything just as the Lord commanded. He did everything the Lord commanded, and he did everything as the Lord commanded. He didn't do it halfway. He didn't take any shortcuts. He didn't install two decks instead of three. He didn't build 250 cubits instead of 300. He didn't bring one of each of the animals. He brought two as God commanded because he believed. He believed when God said a flood was coming that he had no reason to question God. God said it, and it settled it for Noah. Lastly, Noah was a brave man. 2 Peter 2.5 says this, If he, God, did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. He, you see, Noah wasn't just a builder. He, knew, he didn't just know how to build a great boat. He was also, and he also wasn't just a righteous man, uh, who let his life speak for himself, during the 120 years before the flood, he also preached righteousness to his generation. I'm sure he warned them of the judgment to come, and he invited them to come on the ark with him, but no one listened or seemed to care. Maybe it was because no one had ever seen it rain before. It had never rained. And certainly no one had ever seen it flood. So why should they take Noah seriously? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, Jesus made a direct comparison between the days of Noah and the days prior to his return to the earth. Listen to this verse. And it was in the day, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now let that sink in for a moment. I'm going to read that again. As it, is, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of God. Let that sink in for a moment in light of our society today. I mean, Jesus is saying the past is the key to the future. If you go back to Noah's day, you will find widespread unbelief and skepticism. I mean, this generation, 18 to 30 today, they say only 58% believe in God. And then another statistic, somebody just told me this morning, is like 14% of them have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's widespread unbelief and skepticism about God. It's a generation that didn't have time for God. There was killings and acts of violence every day. Human life in Noah's day was not valued. No one valued human life. Sexual perversion was out of control. There were no rules. People made their own rules to satisfy, to soothe their conscience. They made their own rules. Men and women did as they pleased, and the result was nothing but a mess of evil that sickened God. So he decided to start, to start all over again, which brings us to the rain. Therefore, the Bible says in Genesis 7, 6 and 7, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons and wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And there they lived for a year on the ark. Until finally Noah released a dove and the dove went out and found dry sprig and brought it back. And Noah decided that the, that the land was dry and the Lord told Noah to go and be fruitful and increase the number and fill the earth. 
And then the Bible says that a rainbow appeared in the heavens. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between, you, between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the, flood waters become a, will the waters become a flood to destroy all of life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. You see, this is more than a cute little children's Bible story that we read. The story of Noah and the great flood is not just about the great attributes of Noah and the animals two by two and the condition of mankind, but it also represents the beginning of a covenant relationship between the Creator God and us, His creation. You see, we are covenant people. As descendants of Noah, we share in the benefits of this relationship which God has established with His children. We are covenant people. Now, as good as that sounds, there are some implications of the rainbow, some that maybe we've never thought about before. But first of all, the first implication of the rainbow is this. God is disappointed even in the best of us. God is disappointed even in the best of us. Now, I hope that doesn't burst anyone's bubble this morning. You see, it's a central truth of the Scripture. God is disappointed even in the best of us. Now, some people don't believe that. Instead, they believe that God is fortunate to have have them on his side. You see, we refuse to see that even the best of us is a mixture of dust and divinity. Mark Twain once said that uh, God created man on the sixth day. In other words, he was worn out when he created man, and we're a mixture of dust and divinity. There's a battle within the human heart. All of us have this battle in the human heart, and none of us are immune to that battle because the Bible says all of us have sinned. And have fallen short of the glory of God. Welcome to church today. You bunch of rotten, dirty sinners, you and me. You see, in other words, we're all in the same sinking, stinking, sinking boat. And the sad truth, this presents a dilemma for God. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in the same sinking boat. Presents a sad dilemma for God. You see, God made us from the clay of the earth. He formed us in his own image. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He breathed into us the breath of life. He gave us the ability to love, to desire. He gave us uh, the, the, uh, our will. And most importantly, he gave us freedom to make our choices. The problem is, sometimes we make wrong choices. Every one of us. Now, theologians call this original sin. In other words, there's a twofold nature to sin. There are the acts of sin. There are the things that we do wrong that we know are wrong and we do them. And there's the original sin and that's the sin that was born in us. In other words, all of us were born with a bent, with a bent towards sin. All of us are born with what we call a sinful nature. We want to be the ruler. We want to be in charge. And all of us have this basic flaw within our character. 
And therefore, God is disappointed even in the best of us. Even when we're doing our very best, the Bible says our, all of our acts of righteousness are like filthy, dirty rags. They fall short. And God is disappointed even in the best of us. Now, the story of Noah and the flood is a combination of that disappointment. According to the writer of Genesis, God repented that he had ever made man. Gosh, think about that. God made man and woman. He made us. And then he repented. He said, you make me sick. I'm sorry that I ever made man. And he repented from the fact that he made us. Now, there's an irony in the story of Noah. However, you see, God was so disappointed in humanity that he decided to wipe the slate clean and start all over, as we've talked about. And as we talked about, he sent a great flood to destroy all the earth, except Noah and his family and two of every kind of animal and all that. But notice this. After the water subsided and Noah leaves the ark, I mean, here he is. He's a man of God, he's righteous, he's obedient, he's a one-of-a-kind man, he's a brave man, he preached righteousness. I mean, this dude was in the mix with God. And so they come on dry land, and Noah comes out of the boat, and what does he do? What does Noah do? He falls into to a crude sin that would have brought God's wrath under other circumstances. You see, God chooses the only righteous man on earth, the only one. And he turns out not to be out to be not very righteous at all. Now here's the truth. Noah's story, Noah's story is our story. Noah's story is our story. You see, even at our best, we are not all created. We are not all God created us to be. You see, that's why one of the words of the scripture for sin means missing the mark. I mean, none of us make use of our potential. All of us uh, uh, fail in some way uh, to make use of all of our ability, of all of our talent in a constructive manner in all the days of our life. We're all not the mothers. You're, you know, moms, you're not the mothers that you ought to be. Fathers, we're not the fathers that we ought to be. We're not the citizens that we ought to be. We're not the employees that we ought to be. We're not the employers that we ought to be. We're not the pastors that we ought to be. We're not the Christians that we ought to be. We all fall short of the mark. And God is disappointed, even in the best of us. God faces the same dilemma with the human heart. There is something in our very nature that is rebellious. You see, within all of us is this desire to call the shots. It, within all of us, there is this desire to be in charge. There is this, in all of us, there is this self-seeking attitude in us that puts ourselves upon the throne of our hearts and says, God, you take the back seat. I'm in charge of my life. I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to be the Lord of my life. It's, I am the king of my own life. There's a capacity in every human heart, not just people out in the world, but within our hearts. So what is God to do? I mean, he's got a dilemma on his hands. It, it did not work for him to destroy humanity and start all, all over as he did with Noah. 
He must have known that it would be not be long until humanity slipped back into the miry clay again. So what's God to do? So as you can see, God has another problem. You see, though God is disappointed, even in the best of us, he is passionately crazy in love, even with the worst of us. You see, that's the other side of the dilemma. God is disappointed in the best of us, but he's passionately crazy in love, even with the worst of us. That's why the rainbow showed up. That's why God made a covenant with Noah and his descendants, you and I. That great destructive flood would not be God's last word concerning his creation. You see, actually God's last word concerning this dilemma is not found in the story of Noah. It's not found anywhere in the Old Testament. It's found in the Gospels. Matter of fact, it is the Gospel. The cross of Calvary. You see, the cross of Calvary was the natural outcome of the covenant God first made with Noah. It was, a, it was the direct result of love, a passionate, never-ending love for all of us, even in the worst of us. It proved once and for all, it proves once and for all that we matter to God, that he's no longer mad at us, but that God is crazy in love with us. You see, even, the Bible says, even while we were yet still sinners, God loved us and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. If that's not crazy love, I don't know what crazy love is. I mean, there was a time when God wiped down humanity. And he said, he made a covenant with us and said, never ever will I do that again. But what I'll do is I'll send my one and only son, Jesus Christ, and I'll send him to earth and he'll live on earth for 33 years and he'll spend three years spreading the good news and starting the church and then he's going to die on a cross for the worst of us. That's crazy love. I mean, how many of you would have your children die for sinners? If that's not crazy, I don't know what crazy love is. So every time you see a rainbow, remember the cross. Every time you see a rainbow, remember the cross. Because that was God's answer to the dilemma. Once and for all, the Bible said that Jesus died once for all sin. He died once for all sin. The acts of sin in the nature of sin. None of us are all we might be, but still, somebody loves us. And he sent his son to die for us. For God, so loved Buddy, that he sent his one and only son, that if I believe in him, I shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved you, that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for the gospel. We thank you for the good news, the story of the covenant that you made with us long ago, Lord. And Father, we thank you that that covenant was fulfilled through the cross of Calvary. What great love you have for us. 
And I pray, Lord, that as we reflect on these final moments that we have together today, Lord, that we will reflect on your great love for us. And Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here in this room today that has never, never invited you into their life to be their Savior. They've never confessed their sins, never acknowledged you, Jesus, as their Savior. I pray that during this moment that we have as we close today, Lord, that you would open our hearts to the truth. The truth is you love us, and you love us so much. And Lord, because you wanted to be in relationship with us, Lord, and because we sinned, you sent your son Jesus to die in our place so that, Lord, when we acknowledge you, that our sins are wiped from our hearts and we become white as snow. And you give us a new life, Lord. We're so thankful for that today. And I pray today that for you today, if you're here and you don't know Christ, or maybe you knew Christ in the early days and, you know, you've kind of just turned your back on him. And the truth is, you know, you've walked away from God. And you'd like to recommit your life to him today. I would invite you, you know, Far too many people know God, know about God, but not enough people know God. You see, knowing about God is religion. You know, you know the story of Noah. You've, you know about Jesus dying on the cross. You know, you know the words, you memorize scripture, you know the Ten Commandments. That's all religion. What I'm talking about today is a relationship where you don't, you're not just know about God, but you know him personally through his son, Jesus Christ, where you can be forgiven for all of your sins. Be forgiven. If that's you today and you'd like to know for sure today that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus lives in your heart today, you could pray this prayer with me. Now, there's no merit in the prayer. The merit is, the, the, the merit is found in your faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. But this is a prayer that just opens your life to God. And you could pray this prayer with me. You could pray it out loud. You don't have to. You can pray it under your breath. But the prayer would go something like this. Can you pray right along with me? Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. You can just pray that. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Savior. You can just pray that. Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Savior. And then you thank him. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. And thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Now, with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, and even on the on, li- on the uh, streaming live today, if you prayed that prayer, those of you that are here or even in the cafe or sitting anywhere, if you prayed that prayer along with me today, will you just acknowledge to God today that, yep, God, I prayed that prayer and I really mean it. You know, it's easy to close your eyes and bow your head and no one looking around. But it's another thing to raise your hand and acknowledge to God that you were serious, that you're making witness to God, that you prayed that prayer today and you believe what you prayed. 
and I'll be the one looking around today. So with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer today, would you just slip up your hand? Yep, all across the auditorium. Hands are gone up everywhere. You can put them right back down. Anyone else? Because see, it's not for me. It's for you to acknowledge to God. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand and say, I prayed that prayer today. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus, for the work of the cross. We thank you, Lord, for your shed blood on Calvary's cross. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us while we were yet still sinners, Lord. And God, you loved us enough to die for us. And I pray for every person that raised their hand today. That, Father, they would sense your wonderful presence in their life today. That, God, you would wrap your loving arms of love and care around each one. And with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you're a believer. And you know that you, you believe in Jesus. You've acknowledged God. You've asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've invited him into your life. But you know that you know there's a battle going on in your life. And really that battle is for lordship. Really, it's who's going to be in charge of my life? Am I going to stand alone with God or am I going to live for my own ways and do my own thing, call my own shots? Or are you willing to stand alone for God and say, God, you know what? I'm going to surrender my life to you. I want you to be not only Savior of my life, but I want you to be Lord of my life. There comes a point in every believer's life, I believe the Bible teaches us, that we have to determine who is Lord, who is the King, who is the CEO, who is the ruler of my life. And you know that battle that we, got, we have going on in our life? It's that battle for Lordship. It's that battle for who's going to be in charge. But God wants to be king of our lives. He wants to fill our lives to overflowing with the spirit of the living God. He wants to give us power to be victorious over life and over sin and death. And he wants to, for us to have an abundant life beyond just knowing our sins are forgiven. But we get caught up in and get caught up in our own way of living life. And so I want to encourage you today. If that's you today, would you just take a moment as we worship together, as we close out, will you just take a moment today to say, God, you know what? I surrender today. I give up today. And by faith, receive all that God has for you. Receive all that he has for you. He has more for you. He has more for you and I. He wants us to go deeper in him. Not just to be this person that's living life any way we want to live and just living to die so we can go to heaven. But he wants us to live victorious and to stand alone and build an ark and do whatever God wants us to do. But we have to determine that he's going to be Lord. So could we stand as we worship today? And, and as you're, we're singing this song together, that you can go ahead and stand. We're going to worship together. And if you'd like to go deeper in the Lord today and surrender your life to him, I invite you, if you'd like, to come up and pray or pray right where you're standing or however. But I just invite you this morning, for those of you who believe in Christ and are living a Christian life, and yet you're just fighting yourself and fighting every way you go, to come to that point where you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And I invite you to come here and pray or pray where you're seated. God bless you. If you are a new Christian and would like to know what to do next or where to go from here, you will want to get a free Next Step packet that contains reading materials and useful resources that will point you in the right direction. 
For more information, please contact Salem Fields Community Church at 540-786-6212 or visit our website at salemfields.com or email us at podcast at salemfields.com.